in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Baker Mayfield reiterated Sunday that he's not worried about his contract with the Browns. Also noted the six-year, $258 million extension for Josh Allen of the Bills is, quote, good for the quarterback position overall. Uh, Allen, $150 million guaranteed, surpassed the $141.5 million guaranteed for Pat Mahomes. Let's take this piece by piece, uh, Adam. So I haven't talked to you since it happened. What did you think about the extension? You have no choice if you're the Buffalo Bills but to do that extension. You There, there are so few elite quarterbacks or quarterbacks who even flash an elite skill set in the NFL that if you have one, you pay him because it is the single most important position in all professional sports. So Josh Allen last year graded out as the fifth best passer from pro football focus behind Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, just above Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill. Ooh, who's that guy at number eight? Derek Carr, uh, Matt Ryan, and number 10, Baker Mayfield. So the Bill Buffalo Bills are betting on one season of performance from Josh Allen, uh, but they have no choice. You've got to pay him as though he's elite because he's shown you at least over the course of one season that he is. Mayfield, I'm happy for Josh. He's a great guy going through the draft process in tradition-rich town like Buffalo. They're lucky to have a quarterback that cares about that, that lives in the mindset as they do in Buffalo. I have to be honest, right when it happened, and I, we were in the media room at the Raiders when it came across uh, uh, Twitter, the very first name that popped out was Lamar Jackson. Like As it should. Yeah. As it should. How happy was he when he saw those numbers? Oh, Lamar Jackson is in an even stronger position than Josh Allen was because Lamar Jackson went into Baltimore and they built the entire offense around him. They built the whole scheme around his skill set. So Buffalo, theoretically, you weren't really going to do this, but theoretically, you can take another strong arm quarterback and throw him into the system. That whole thing is built around Lamar Jackson. And so Baltimore is all in on what Lamar Jackson can do for them. Now, they haven't shown that because they still haven't gone out and gotten him a real wide receiver. Right. But at the same time, Lamar Jackson is going to get paid at least what Josh Allen got. I don't care about your next question. Green Bay Packers receiver Devin Funches apologized early Sunday for using an anti-Asian slur and gesture during a news conference Saturday night. After the Packers practice at Lambeau Field, Funches walked into a media press conference and said he was happy to see reporters in person after previously talking only on Zoom. I can talk to people now, he said, I like smiles. Vaccinated reporters are required to wear masks, and Funches used an anti-Asian slur and pointed to his eyes when he told reporters that he can still see them smiling even when they're masked up. I, I just don't know in the world. I mean, the fact he said it is wrong, but in the world of social media, I, it, it's like they the guys never learn on this. They just never learn, and um, it's horrible what he did. It's stupid, but do you ever get surprised nowadays in 2021 we still see these things, and they do these things in front of reporters who are going to go right to Twitter and, and right to social media? If you watch the clip of Devin Funches and the way that he says it, he's kind of laughing, and he's not laughing in a derogatory way. He's laughing when he uses the slur talking about how people's eyes look, he talks about it in a very casual way. He talks about it and you can tell that this is everyday conversation for him. And I think that's the more worrying part than anything else, uh, that this is something that I don't think gave him a moment of pause to say, 
And that's not necessarily to tear him down as to tear down all of us who would enable that, right? If a guy feels that comfortable saying something that so clearly would be offensive to Asians, Asian Americans, that is something that he has said casually to people around him before. Right. That is something he felt comfortable with. And that's the part that I think we all bear some level of responsibility for being able to call out each other on when we hear it. Before we go to the next one, this plays into uh, the fact about racial slurs. The Rockies are investigating after a fan used racial slur against Miami Marlins outfielder Lewis Brinson in Colorado yesterday. Um, it's late in the game. I don't. I have no idea who this person was, but the story made a, a point to say you can, at the Coors, obviously given how bad they are, you can move to the lower deck in late innings. Um I heard it. I think you heard it on the replay. It was amazing to me that that was heard so clearly. And apparently, and I don't know this for a fact, but just reading the AP story, he wasn't pointed out immediately. The statement of the team is we're disgusted at the racial slur directed at uh, Lewis Brinson during the ninth inning. Although the subject was not identified prior to the end of the game, the Rockies are investigating this incident. I've got to be honest with you. I, I can't believe someone didn't point him out to like security, or whatever. Am I, am I like reaching there that that should have had, that I'm surprised it didn't happen? I'm going to add a caveat to this that I don't believe, but that is out there. Uh, that TMZ Sports, that noted journalistic uh, paragon, has reported that there are those who believe that someone was yelling the name of the Rockies mascot, Dinger. We're off the air. I don't believe uh, that that is the case. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that is basically, Ed, what I was just uh, talking yeah. about is to say, if we are not willing to call each other out, if we are not willing to make the point uh, very clearly and loudly that that's unacceptable, then, you know, then we have obviously much larger problems that we need to be addressing. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> A tearful Lionel Messi has made his next move uh, to Paris Saint-Germain. He's going to PSG. Uh, he's leaving uh, Barca after many, many years. Dan Wetzel wrote an incredible story about Lionel Messi. I don't know if you saw it over the weekend when Lionel Messi is like a four-foot-one kid. Uh, went to Barca. His father brought him for a tryout when he was 13. And the Barca people are like, who the hell is this kid? He can barely get up to the kneecap of players. And they put Lionel Messi on a field and he destroyed everybody. And he's been there ever since. Um when these things happen and you see Lionel Messi make that kind of move, would you want it to be this way in America for the uh, emotion? And I know huge stars switch teams. I don't think it's even close to something like this is globally when someone like Messi moves a team. In America, or do, do, let me put it this way, do fans here of sports have any clue kind of the global earthquake this, this causes in the rest of the world when someone like this who's been with Barca forever switches to PSG? I don't think we have no. a really good comparison for no. how football slash soccer fans around the world react to their teams, period. I mean, we care. We obviously, uh, with Raider Nation, get to see that up close very often. But we don't care like that. Uh, and we never have. And frankly, the way our sports teams treat us, we never will. It's the old Jerry Seinfeld bit. We're cheering for laundry, right? So when it comes to Lionel Messi, making that move the only comparison i can make and ed i think you will love this considering what your twitter biopic is right now uh <laughs> we kind of got a little taste of it with mark andre fleury uh mark andre fleury had that sort of relationship with the vegas fans and it took 
the events of October 1st and the fact that this was a brand new team for a city that had been waiting for professional sports for its entire existence to create that sort of relationship. And it still doesn't compare at all to what it meant to Lionel Messi and what it means uh, to the Spanish football fans. Next question. Longtime Florida State coach Bobby Bowden ranked second all-time Division I wins, uh, passed away uh, early Sunday morning. He was 91. My father passed away peacefully with all six of his children and my mother by his side, said his son Terry Bowden. I couldn't have asked for a better personal mentor. He was a wonderful husband and father who relied on his strong faith to provide the foundation for life. Uh, Bobby Bowden uh, was diagnosed with a terminal medical condition in July. He did not disclose the condition, although Terry told reporters it was pancreatic cancer. So 91 years old, Bobby Bowden has passed. Uh, I put Bobby Bowden out there to you. What are some of your memories of him when you think of him in Florida State? 91 years old, by the way. Yes. Uh, God bless. Yes. yes. Uh, you know, congrats. You know, congratulations uh, to the Bowden family. Uh, nice congratulations. Condolences to the Bowden family, uh, saying goodbye to their father at that point. Um, my memories of Bobby Bowden are those of a kid who grew up liking Miami and uh, watching some really, really good Florida State teams to give him hell uh, over the years. I mean, when we talk about the rise of the sort of super program in in college football and what Florida uh, football, not Florida the school, but Florida the state and having Miami and Florida State and and University of Florida meaning what they meant to the college landscape. And Bobby Bowden was a huge part of that. Next question. Well, here you go. Lane Kiffin uh, putting his mouth where uh, uh, where his, uh, excuse me, putting his uh, stomach where his mouth is. And good for him. Lane Kiffin met with his football team Saturday night prior to Ole Miss's first practice. He had a confession to make. Kiffin is 30 pounds lighter than he was at the end of last season, saying it was hypocritical to ask players to be more committed to taking care of their bodies when he wasn't doing it himself. I saw a picture of me at a bowl game last year and told players I looked like an anaconda who had swallowed a deer and the deer got stuck in its neck. Kiffin said players howled at his analogy but wanted them to know that he was serious about discipline uh, after they went 5-5 five and five a year ago in Kiffin's first season. It goes back starting with me. I'm in the postseason telling offensive linemen and other guys they need to eat better, lose weight, get in better shape, and I looked like a whale. Uh, I like it. Um, I like him saying, you know what, if I'm going to tell these guys this, then I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to do this. I, I remember stories. I know people who, uh, and you know the same people who worked on Rick Pitino's staff uh, in college. And if you weren't in the weight room or you weren't on the treadmill with Rick Pitino in five days a week, then you were called on the carpet as an assistant coach. He wanted his coaches, and Rick Pitino's always been in great shape, but he wanted his coaches maybe not to be in the shape of him, but to say, hey, if we're going to have these kids running every day, if we're going to preach to them, you have to be in shape, you have to eat well, and then they turn around and look at us as coaches, and we're doing everything wrong, that's not a great message. So I literally know a coach who was under Pitino who at 5.30 a.m. every morning was in the gym. He didn't like it, but if you're going to coach for Patino, that's what you have to do. When you hear these things, uh, good on Lane Kiffin. Is this how more coaches should be in terms of telling their kids one thing and trying to prove it on uh, on their own end? I have no trouble with anyone who wants to lead by example and set the example for everybody else out there. And as someone who has gone through the experience of trying to lose significant weight as an adult, uh, I have great respect for Lane Kiffin getting that done at 46 years old. Yes. Um, I did it a little bit younger when I lost about 60 pounds, but it is not an easy thing to do. And congratulations to him for that. Um, if his players need that motivation, that's great. I will just say that Patrick Mahomes 
does not need to see Andy Reid eating less cheeseburgers to go out there and be in fantastic shape. Andy Reid is a testament to go ahead and eat whatever the hell you want as long as you can do the job. But that being said, why not if, if it sets a good example? And there are some quotes from the kids in the story that uh, seem to show that they respect the fact that Lane Kiffin did that. There's more Hall of Fame coming. We've got Tom Flores. We've got Charles Woodson. We have John Gruden on Tom Flores and Charles Woodson. So we gave you a little Peyton Manning. When we come back, we'll continue with the Hall of Fame again. Mike Grimald is at 830. Jim Livengood's at 930. And at 9 o'clock, if you care about UNLV, and we're told there are actually people out there who do, we'll give you an opportunity to call and tell us what you think about Desiree Reed francois going to Missouri, who you would hire as AD, and what you have in terms of thoughts on the program as it stands today. When we come back, more Hall of Fame. Back after this. Here we are, Mike Grimald at 8.30. Going to talk UNLV and Desiree Reed francois First, though, we played you some uh, Peyton Manning earlier um, from the Hall of Fame. Thought those were some pretty cool takes. And uh, the Raiders had a big place in the Hall of Fame yesterday. Mark Davis was there. Uh, Charles Woodson, obviously, uh, the great Charles Woodson. And then Tom Flores, uh, who, along with Ditka, I believe, is still the only player uh, player, assistant coach, and head coach who won Super Bowls, which is pretty amazing that it took this long for Tom Flores to get in. But he's in. He was able to be there. He's able to give his speech. That was awesome. Uh, now he's enjoyed it, and uh, he's in forever. I um, want to play a few clips here, Adam. We're going to start with Charles Woodson. We have two clips from him. Um, he brought his mom along to present and you know, to, to be the one to bring him there. I thought that was really cool from the time he got his uh, gold jacket, giving her a hug there on the stage, then last night. Uh, here's Charles Woodson off the Hall of Fame. Mama, Mama, you know I love you. Mama, Mama, you're the queen of my heart. Your love is like tears from the stars. I think I lost a bet. I love my mama, man. Look no further than my mama to find out where I get it from. My passion, how hard I work, that comes from my mother. Terrific stuff there. We now know why he was a football player. Uh, <laughs> well, not nah, look. I don't know about Jared. I'm not going to speak for Jared or Adam, so I can't carry a tune. But uh, I thought that was really cool, Adam, in terms of talking about his mom. And uh, you know, most of those guys uh, got emotional. Not as much, some as much as the others, but most of them kind of the voice cracked at some point. I know Peyton's did when he talked about his dad, but uh, that was cool. Charles Woodson with his mom, wasn't it? Ed, first of all, how can you carry any tune if you don't know any tune? That's a great <laughs> question. That's a great I question. I, I'm trying to think of the tune I know. No, you're right. I mean, like, if I, I if I had it in front of me, like I could read it and like um, uh, actually sing it, I still couldn't carry it. Yeah, I mean, I think the best we've got is is Happy Birthday, and I don't want to hear that right now. So, um, no. yeah, good for Charles Woodson. Um, good for any of those guys willing to show uh, you know the emotion of what it means to them because. 
the reason we care about the Hall of Fame at all is because of what it means to those players and what those players meant to us as representatives of their franchises, right? Like, we care more about Tom Flores, the Raider, than we do about Tom Flores, the coach, or Tom Flores, the player. We care about him as a guy who is a representative of that franchise, and that's why he generates a lot of the uh, a lot of the emotion that he does from people. And so to see that emotion is fantastic. And look, you know, I I say for myself, I'm I'm someone who was raised by a single mother from a very young age, and I feel like Charles Woodson does. I owe a lot of who I am, uh, you know, to my mom, and good for him to be able to go up there and not only say it uh, on the biggest stage, but also to have the courage to sing it yes. on the biggest stage. It's amazing. More Charles Woodson from Canton. You know, I, I grew up an hour and a half west from here in Fremont, Ohio. It's where I picked up my first pair of cleats to play this great game that we play. And I feel like it's so fitting that here today, I put those cleats down for the last time here in Canton, Ohio, and I walk into the Hall of Fame. I leave you with this. Be unique, innovative, learn discipline. You own undeniable respect. Love everyone, give everything. Never doubt, build your legend. Thank you. We in the Hall of Fame, baby. I asked you about Bobby Bowden. What's your memories of Charles Woodson? Just a legendary athlete, right? I mean, just the kind of guy who you rarely looked at a defense and felt like one player could make that kind of difference. But Charles Woodson was that guy as much as uh, anybody in the secondary can ever be that, uh, you know, all the way back to the college days in Michigan. Like the, this is a guy who you just looked at and saw a different athlete on the field. So whether it's with the Raiders, whether it's the Packers, uh, a guy who was the rare difference maker on a defense. Uh, the other person going in, obviously, with deep Raiders ties was Coach Flores, Coach Tom Flores, uh, and many, many people. I'll give uh, my uh, my friend Paul Gutierrez of ESPN a huge credit to this. Over the years, Paul, there's no one in the media who pushed for Coach Flores as much as Paul did. It wasn't even close in terms of how deserving he thought Tom Flores was to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, he's finally there. I want, the, I want to thank the Raider organization. They've been incredible. Raider Nation is everywhere. I spent 55 years of my professional life with the Raiders as a player, an assistant coach, a head coach, and a radio announcer, and now as a representative in the PR department. There's no better group of people to, or no better place to have your second home. I, I particularly want to call mention to the late Al Davis, who was my mentor, my coach, I love his wife, Carol, dearly, as you saw in the video. And I love coaching his son, Mark, who's up here with me, now the owner and running the team. When he used to come to camp, the camp as an eight-year-old, I met him and we used to, he used to create havoc on the playing field because we only had two balls and uh, it was a very low budget. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, he's, 
I remember talking to him before he went, and I think the first camp he said they had like 15 quarterbacks, and they didn't know what was going on there in terms of all the people they had. Um, what do you – you know, it, it's funny. Like, it, it, there's look, every organization has and every college has kind of their own parameters and definition of what makes either retired jerseys or Hall of Famers or whatever. I, I know Duke, I think you have to – Win a national title, be first time first team All American, get your jersey retired, and then lower programs will have you know less accomplishments. Um, it took Tom Flores a while. Why do you think that's the case? And if you're deciding as Adam Candy as a voter for the Hall of Fame, like what do you put most in terms of the importance of voting for a coach for the Hall of Fame? Is it Super Bowls or longevity? Like what do you think is most important? The thing we have to understand about any hall of fame is its subjectivity right that like unless you're talking about the world golf hall of fame which has very clear definitions for how you get in everything about this is subjective and think about the baseball hall of fame it's the writers who decide right yeah. which uh, you might agree you might disagree but that brings with it a whole mess of subjective criteria so when it comes for voting for a coach in the nfl I don't think it's necessarily about Super Bowls. I mean, if you were to give me, let's say there was a coach like a Chris Alt, who in uh, up at uh, up at Reno right. was a guy who brought in an offense that has been copied and studied throughout all of football, not just college, but the NFL. I mean, that pistol offense is everywhere right now. And if you do something like that to revolutionize the game, I think you should be uh, considered as well. So the point of the matter is I, I don't really love the idea of of objective criteria for the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I think the whole concept of a Hall of Fame is that there has to be there has to be an aura. There has to be something that you generate for the game that is above and beyond what others have been able to do. Right. It has to be something where you have either raised up the standard of a player, raised up the standard of a coach, raised up a franchise, raised up the game in, in some way that it's very difficult to put an objective measure to. That's a great point. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, and he's in. I get that. But Ray Guy, as amazing as he was, Ray Guy changed how the game was played. So I'm with you on that. If you do something and a person who's not in that I would put up there is Don Coriel. Like to me, if exactly what you said, Adam, if you do something that inherently changes the game for decades to come, I think that's just as important as you won three or four Super Bowls. It's not to mean you're not a great coach, but you had a hell of a lot of great players to win that many Super Bowls. I don't think you should be downgraded for it. But there are people not in there, and I'll go back to Coriel where – like you said with the pistol, Dan Coriel's passing game of his era was not only taken by people, whether it was Walsh or whoever, who then kind of you know advanced it. It changed how football was played. Ray Guy's ability to punt changed how football teams reacted to him. So that's the best point I've heard in terms of I don't know if the criteria should just be, well, he's got seven rings. Now, if you got seven rings, you're going in. I get that. Eli Manning, well, he's got two rings. Okay. Let's go back and see how the two rings were won. Should it automatically be that he's in? Sometimes it is. We'll, we'll see with him. But you're right. I think it's far more important if what you did is carried on for you know decades and decades because it was that big a difference. So when you go to a big city like uh, New York and there are, there's, there's the Museum of Natural History, the Museum of Modern Art, like all these different things, well, each of our sports has one museum. It's the Hall of Fame. Right. And the idea is that if anyone walks into that Hall of Fame, they can track the history of the sport over, you know, its entire lifespan. And so to me, 
if you're going to have a museum that is the sport, then you have to choose the things that were the most important to forming that sport, to changing it over the course of time. Those need a place in that museum because otherwise it's just a hall of people who we liked, a hall of people who you know, met some sort of criteria that are the same as the criteria for choosing a save in Major League Baseball, right? Like, it, uh, no one knows why we decided that you had to be come into a game that where the deficit was three runs or less unless the tying run was in the on-deck circle, blah, 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 blah. Well, if we do that for the Hall of Fame, then haven't we just created another measure that doesn't really have any basis in fact? Like, if we're going to go with something subjective, let's turn the Hall of Fame into a living museum of the sport where people like Ray Guy or Air Coriel or anybody else who have had a hand in changing how we appreciate the game, give them a place. When we come back, back to Desiree Reed Francois and her move to Missouri, it's Mike Grimala on deck. No. That's great. It's free advertising, baby. <laughs> I love it. People are going to be talking about that. You know that they're, at least I hope, I hope I'm not like jinxing or something like that. But, um, it, it, you know, sometimes when the cannon, when the camera pans to the offensive coordinator, um, they're going to be like, oh, and this is Marcus Arroyo. He is the new coach at UNLV football. That he is. Well, he's been the coach for a while now in pandemic season. Now his second year. That was Desiree Reed Francois, the former athletic director at UNLV talking about her hire at football coach who coached in the Rose Bowl before he came here officially. Please be enjoying now. Follow him on Twitter, at Mike Ramallah. Does a great job covering the Rebels for the Las Vegas Sun. How are you, Mike? I am good. I'm a little bit exhausted. I, I've been watching uh, Tyler's dogs all week. Oh, that's so right. I, so I guess he's got Adam is in there watching his show. Yeah. I'm watching his dogs. Like, we're... Where's the personal responsibility for this kid? I don't know, but Adam got the better uh, flip of that coin. I'll tell you that. Two I don't dogs. Want the dogs. Are you two kidding? Dogs. I'm, not ta- I'm not taking the dogs. No, my God, we love dogs, but we're not taking them. My goodness, I got enough dogs. I mean, I, I don't need any more. How how did they act? Were they like running around? Did they get very excited when a bunch of numbers came on the television and stats? Did they start like wagging their tails? How were those two dogs? <laughs> no, they are. Uh, they're they're pretty low key. They mostly okay. sleep all day and <laughs> take eye drops and then go back to sleep. So. <laughs> It's, it's actually a pretty easy job. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's an easy job, but it's certainly going to pay her a lot more. Desiree Reed Francois has left for Missouri, as you know and wrote about it. Um, her name has been on P5 lists forever. I don't think that's any any secret. She wanted a P5 job. Nothing wrong with that. She wants to uh, climb up there and uh, be at the most powerful place she can be uh, in terms of uh, the SEC and all the power that comes with it. So I assume you weren't surprised, but what was your first reaction that it was Missouri? Uh, I, it was not one of the places I expected her to go, but then when you consider the bigger picture that, you know, it is the SEC and I guess, you know, that's the bottom line. Um, it, it made more sense. You know, we had always heard that, you know, she's a West coast person, you know, Cal, UCLA, Stanford, you like, so one of those places is, you know, the job that she wants, but the timing wise, um, you know, it's, it, the timing is good to get out of UNLV, especially if you can make a jump to the SEC. So I, from that perspective, I, I, it made all the sense in the world. You know, Ed wrote today that it's an incomplete grade on Desiree Reed-Francois because of the fact that we don't know much about Marcus Arroyo and Kevin Kruger's record and that T.J. Otzelberger you know, bailed pretty quickly for a job that had a very specific set of criteria that allowed him to get that job. Uh Overall, if you were to try to grade what you've seen to date uh, from the tenure of Desiree Reed-Francois, how would you put it? 
you know, it's. I would say that probably overall, maybe like a, a C or a C minus. I mean, she was the one thing she was good at. I mean, Ed could speak to this as, as well. Before she got there, the way you, the UNLV athletic department was run was. Uh, I don't want to say unprofessional. It was a little not or disorganized, but it was definitely like a mom and pop kind of feel to it. Um, Desiree came in and made it run like a business, like other athletic departments run, you know, when it's time for a coaching search, they would do it the right way. Um, she wouldn't like tour coaches around the facilities out in public before, you know, they had a deal that she would, you know, she was just doing it by the book and she instituted like a corporate structure that made sense and everybody knew what their jobs were. So from that perspective in like a business sense, uh, I thought she did a really good job. Uh, but the most important job of an AD, I think a lot of people, most people would say, is who are you going to hire as your football coach and who's your basketball coach? And she did a pretty bad job there. I mean, there's really no way to, unless Marcus Arroyo turns it around and, and has a great season. I mean, Otzelberger was kind of a bust two years, didn't win. He's gone. Marcus Arroyo winless in his first season. You know, some of the books expect him to win one game this year. So, I mean, if he goes 0-12, there's really no way to spin that as a good hire. Um, and then it's all resting on Kevin Kruger, who has never coached a game of basketball as a head coach at this level. So I, there's no way to give her a good grade for a coaching hire. So you combine the behind-the-scenes stuff with the, the hires, and I'd say probably like a C. Uh, the grades were good, improved. Fundraising, I thought they did a good job. At. Now, I am going to put this out there in terms of, and it's not, not a shot against her, but I think people bring up Fertitta Football Complex, and I'll stand behind the fact Sanchez raised the most money for that. Um, not her fault. I mean, at that school, if anyone's going to raise millions of dollars, who cares who it is? You need millions of dollars for anything out there. Uh, so go to that part of it, though, because I know you wrote about this, in terms of how much credit she should be given for the academics and the fundraising when we know, as you just stated, the one that the only thing that really matters in 2021 is football anyway. So the percentage that you give her credit for those two things. You know, I think the grades, I, I think she does get credit because when you're talking about grades for a, an athletic program, I think that falls on the head coaches. I think it's, it comes down to how much the head coach stresses it. If you get a head coach who's just lip service and says, hey, go to your classes, do the minimum, but what I really care about is how many points are you going to score? and what you're doing and getting to practice and all I care about is sports, then the, grade, the kids' grades are obviously going to reflect that. But if you get a coach who's really serious about academics and, you know, when he makes those promises to mom and dad about raising a, a good kid and getting a diploma, and then he follows through on it, and, he, you know, then that's when you see the team GPAs rise when you have a head coach in place who stresses that. Um, and so she, the coaches she did hire in other sports, you know, volleyball, softball, like those, those programs have done better. Um, and the grades have come up. So I do give her uh, credit for that. But in the grand scheme of things, how important is that? You know, and, and when you're grading an athletic director, I would probably put that, you know, somewhere, you know, down on the list, way behind who you're hiring as a coach. And that's for fundraising, you know, the Petita football complex. That was pretty much um, the, the wheels were in motion, I, you know, before yeah. she got here. Um, I'm not going to give her too much credit for, for that. So when UNLV sets out to hire its next athletic director, Mike, what needs to be at the top of the list in terms of what they're looking for? Because the next UNLV athletic director comes into a very different Las Vegas sports landscape than she did because the Raiders had agreed to come here, but they weren't actually here yet. And the Golden Knights were barely a thing at that point. And UNLV has moved down in the pecking order in Las Vegas sports. 
Yeah, they've been buried in terms of uh, interest level, you know, by those the, the pro teams. And uh, I think if you look at the the big picture, you've got a a new uh, university president, and this is maybe the most important time in in college athletics that we've seen um, with all the the realignment and reforming of the super conferences and new power conferences. And I would say the number one objective over the next two years is for UNLV to find a landing spot that is beneficial to the university. And so if you, if there's an AD out there who can counsel the president, work with him and can sort of navigate that landscape to make sure that UNLV doesn't get stuck in the Mountain West version 3.0, which is, you know, just bad teams that no one cares about. That's never on TV. Um, All games are streamed and you can't find them. And the payouts for the um, broadcasting deal are, are, fraction of what you would get at a real conference like you can't if that happens you can pretty much bury UNLV and they're done in this town in terms of interest they'll never catch up uh, so the, the AD that the first order of business has to be who can best position UNLV to get into one of these new conferences um, that's going to earn them a little more money give them a little more exposure help them take their you know basketball football to the next level those are great points, and it goes into my next question to you because all I've seen in 24 hours, and I get it, I understand, haven't been here forever, but I've been here long enough to whenever there's a hire at this university, a major hire, the first thing I see is, let's go to the local person. Do they know the school? Do they know Las Vegas? Let's go to the former player. Let's go. He knows UNLV, or she knows UNLV. That's fine, but if that person doesn't know what you just said in terms of how to get in the Power Five, you do not hire someone. This is the most important athletic hire they've ever made in terms of athletic director to get into a Power Five. You do not hire someone just because they know UNLV if they can't get what Mike just said and taking the next step. Um, I, I think Lon and people put Lon Kruger out. I understand that. I get that. And I wrote on Twitter this morning. I think Lon's incredible. I think he'd check a lot of boxes. Could he fire his son? Because in three or four years, if they haven't wanted anything and he has a losing record, then you'd have to make a decision. I don't think he'd ever put himself in that position. I know he said. I know he's, there was a quote in the paper today where he said, look, I, I didn't retire to do this. I'll support them. I don't think you'd ever put him in that, himself in that position. But talk to me about the perception of this town where it always has to be someone with connections to that school. That's fine if you can get both, but I am with you. You better get someone who knows people in college athletics and can move you forward towards a Power Five if you have a chance at all. Well, first let me shut up Tyler's dog here. Uh, of course it had to be his dog. It couldn't be yours. You knew that was a Bischoff dog. Yeah, let me roll up the newspaper and really yeah. go to town on this. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, Tyler. You're listening. Um, no, but that, that's he's a good not point. listening. My yeah, my mentions were you know filled with the usual suspects. You know, the local people, people with ties to UNLV, and you. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like this is the one time when you need to take a broad national kind of view of this situation. You need someone that knows the Pac-12, the Big Twelve, like someone who can work those relationships and just I don't know exactly how the gears are going to turn and who's going to be leading those negotiations and those discussions, but it's got to be someone who can jump in there and knows how to maneuver. Like, and this is a, a big, it's, it, these are broad sweeping conversations that you're having about reforming conferences and where you're going to go. And it's got to be someone who knows how to handle that. And, you know, it's, you, you like the local connections, but that's not the most important thing right now. That can't, that's got to be, way down the, the checklist when you're looking to hire uh, your next AD. The thing is, guys, I've lived here since 1989, and no matter how 
large Ooh. this town has grown in terms of population, it is still a very small town yes. in its thinking. And and it's a very small town in the way it thinks about jobs because the strip jo- job market is based on connections. Yep. That's it. The 20% of the Las Vegas population has a college degree. And that is not a knock on the Las Vegas population. It's because you don't need a college degree to get most of the jobs around here. So, you know, when you hear those things, I think you're hearing Las Vegas reflected in how they look at this UNLVAD search. Yeah, well, and that's, that's one of the, the points I was making about Desiree Reed francois when she came here. Like, I think that we saw in some previous hires, like that was given, you know, local ties and connections were given high priority in some of the, the hires that they made. And I thought Desiree got away from that in a good way. Like, she would do in that shoot. You know, you can mock the search firms and all that, but, you know, she went away from that. She hired the, the coach from South Dakota State who's got no connections here. She would um, hired Marcus Arroyo who's got no connections to you. And I was like, she was not concerned with pleasing, you know, the people who wanted, who were championing a local candidate. She was just about getting the best person. Um, whether she did that or not, that was her, her goal. I think whoever is, you know, in charge of this AD hire has got to take the, the same tact. Like, yeah, it would be nice if it's someone who, has a, some kind of local connection or someone that the fans have a relationship with or that they, they, they know or it's a, it's a name brand, but it's not the, it's, by far it's not the most important thing. You've got to do a, a good job. If you make a bad hire here, if you hire some local guy who used to play for the team and you know, did this and he's hung around and he doesn't really, but he doesn't really know what he's doing, you're going to get stuck in a very, very bad conference, and the programs are just going to die. They're going to wither on the vine, and they're going to die. So you've got to get someone who – can avoid that happening. Whoever it is, wherever they come from, whatever their background is, that's the person you have to get. Yep. And if you don't do it, you're you're going to fall way behind. Yep. So I'm out. Jared is out. I don't know if he'll if he if they call me for permission to talk to him, I will grant that permission, uh, and we'll see what happens. He is an alum. Well, put it this way, he's an alum, so he's automatically a candidate at that place. All right. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Romali. Does an incredible job for the Sun covering UNLV. He'll be on this uh, AD search, and uh, we'll see what happens, Mike. Thanks a lot, and uh, put Bish- put Bischoff's dogs outside. They don't deserve to be inside. Put them outside and hope for the best. Okay, there'll be closet dogs today. They're You're darn right. Closet. Yeah, put them in the closet with uh, Cassie. Champ from Cassie. Yeah, Cassie's got the one in the closet you can do as well. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Bye. Real quick, before we go to break, does that mean that Adam Candy technically is qualified to be the athletic director at UNLV? He's been here since 1989. Oh, he's one of the three finalists. <laughs> It's Lon Kruger, Adam Candy, and uh, probably Larry Johnson, because every time there's been an opening at that school, Larry Johnson is – got to bring back LJ. When we come it's back – It's an honor. Yeah. It's just an honor to be nominated, guys. Exactly. I'll call you for the off-the-record quotes later. When we come back, our sharp can't lose. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Stevens with us, 11 straight. Now it really gets interesting, though. No more Olympics. No more minus 9,000 favorites. Let's see what he's got. He's got 11 straight. He's got the jersey. 12 would get him the socks. This would get him the socks. Now, if he misses it, goodbye jersey, goodbye socks. 15 gets you all three uh, three prizes, the uh, jersey, the socks, and the press box T-shirt. I assume you're going to go for the socks, yes? I'm going for all of it. Okay. Well, then give us a pick for your 12th. Uh, I hope it's not a trap game, but I'm going to go with uh, Musgrove against uh, Marlins. Okay, you're going Padres. All right, you're going yeah, Padres. Yeah, but I'll, 
but with, but with Musgrove as the pitcher. So if there's a scratch on that, I get my bet back. No, no. He's betting listed. <laughs> All he's doing is betting listed. He's betting the listed pitcher. That's fine. Okay. I... Yeah, listed, pitcher, listed pitcher with Musgrove. I don't care what the action is on the Miami side. Uh, so, it's right. Musgrove. Padres over Miami. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Take care. Well, he's going for the Sox. He's going for everything. Gets a little tougher. Olympics I'm going to tell of, you. Olympics had this, a lot of this favorites. Is the, this one's dangerous. This one's a little dangerous. I hope we'll you're see. right. I hope you're right. I like Steven and everything, but as a Dodger fan, let's go Let's go Marlins. Let's go whoever's pitching for them. Uh, let's get uh, Olympics uh, are uh, uh, seen and heard and passed. Uh, Adam, I wanted to ask you and Jared this. Um, give us your best memory, eh, one or two or however many you want. When you look back on the 2020-2021 games, uh, what will you remember most? Uh, as someone who watched whatever the absolute bare minimum required to do this job was of the Olympics, I will say my best memory was all of the free time I got back for not watching sports I'll never care about after these three weeks. That's a nice one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, A lot of free time back for that. Um, USA basketball, both men and women won. Not, I I assume you're not surprised. No, not at all. And I, you know, if we're going to take good memory from that, I think the the Kevin Durant, uh, you know, supernova that we saw in the Olympics is hopefully just one more piece that gets us away from any sort of slight toward Kevin Durant that we grew accustomed to with going to join the Golden mm-hmm. State Super Team, et cetera, et cetera. Look, if you don't like that, if you don't like the fact that LeBron went and created, you know, the Heatles in Miami, great. Mm-hmm. Don't let it diminish the fact that these are two of the best basketball players you will ever see. Totally agree. He's the greatest Olympian ever for basketball. I don't think it's close. Well, who's the best Carmelo. Team? Well, Carme- Durant's the all-time leading scorer. Now, I, I, and, and the other thing about Kevin Durant, I will say this, because we know how much he loves basketball, he, he didn't have to play this year. I mean, he, he, his legacy was set in the Olympics. He didn't have to go. And a lot of guys didn't play who didn't have to. I get that. But he didn't have to do it, and he still came back and did it. So I agree with you. I, the whole nonsense about Kevin Durant and ripping him for go to Brooklyn, whatever. I mean, it, I, I, he's an incredible player, one of the greatest players who ever lived, and what a great Olympian. Jared, what's your memory? Uh, it is trying to find basketball at any given time. Ha! Oh, okay. All right. It is. This was genuinely the worst like put together Olympics as far as a TV schedule yes. I have ever it's experienced brutal. in my entire life. Mine will be when I signed up for Peacock at four twenty four fifty a month, uh, knowing that I will never be able to cancel it because they never allow you to cancel those things. So I'll be paying for this thing for the rest of my life. Uh, it's not a great memory, but it ended up being really good. Connor Fields, the UNLV and Green Valley High uh, um, alum, crashed on BMX, had a very, very bad crash. But Connor is back home. Uh, Mark Anderson, the RJ, talked to him over the weekend. He's doing better. So the fact that Connor uh, got through that and is uh, back home recuperating and it looks like he's on his way to full recovery, I think that's a really good thing because if you saw that crash when it happened, it wouldn't. Uh, it wasn't good. Three six four eleven hundred. I'm always told there's UNLV fans in this town. Three six four eleven hundred. What do you think about Reed Francois going? What do you want to happen next right now?